Hey guys, keep going. You're good. You're good. You look so beautiful and sparkly today. It's Wednesday morning at Ranchwood Elementary School in Yukon, Oklahoma. Principal Kristen Leip is walking the halls. And as we're walking through, I have seniors um, from the class of 2021 that have come back to visit their elementary school today. It's the last week of school, the end of May, and it's a tradition for graduating seniors to come back and visit their elementary school. So the class of 2021 comes back to see the little desks they used to sit at and the teachers they still remember. Kristen Leip passes some of the seniors in the hall. Okay, what's the best school? Kristen Leip remembers these kids. She's been principal here for 20 years. Well, you're at the best school in the state of Oklahoma. She stops by the gym. Some second graders are doing their warm-ups. Let's do 10. Ready, set, go. One, two, three, four, five. We have mountain climbers and um, jumping jacks. And we have in second grade approximately 22 kids in each classroom. We are very blessed that we do have um, an art teacher, uh, music, PE, and library media. And so each classroom visits those classrooms uh, once a week and have their classes. Ranchwood is in a suburb of Oklahoma City, and it's the kind of place a lot of teachers want to teach. It's got above average test scores and small class sizes. In the past, she says she didn't have any trouble hiring. But this year, she's got a problem. Five people are retiring and she's worried about replacing them. I'll tell you, I've been doing this a long time, and um, I never thought I would, we'd get to the point to where we didn't have people banging our doors down to come and teach. It's a huge problem in Oklahoma. Not enough people want to be teachers. Used to, we were so selective, we got to choose who we wanted and send the rest to other schools. Now we are out searching our community, um, other surrounding communities. I'm always thinking, who is out there when I do have a position come open? Who am I going out to snatch and grab? A lot of principals have an even tougher time than Kristen Leip does, finding someone willing to teach. It's incredibly difficult, and it has been for some time. Craig McVeigh is superintendent at El Reno Public Schools. It's a district just a few minutes away from Kristen Leip's. In 2005, we might have 200 candidates for one position. In 2020, We might only have two. Craig McVeigh sits on a state task force trying to come up with ways to deal with Oklahoma's teacher shortage. One thing the state is doing is letting districts hire people on emergency certificates. That means they can hire people to teach who don't have a four-year degree in education or a teaching certificate. A decade ago, Oklahoma issued 32 emergency teaching certificates for the whole state for an entire school year. And then the number exploded. Districts across the state continue to say that they're having an increasingly hard time finding teachers to uh, fill many positions. Emergency certifications allow someone without formal training to step into the classroom and teach. A teacher can get to teach with only a bachelor's degree. They don't have to have any training um, in how to be a teacher. They don't have to have a content background. The use of emergency certified teachers has become a new normal for Oklahoma schools. Last year, more than 3,000 emergency certificates were issued in Oklahoma. From 32 a year during the 2011-2012 school year to more than 3,000 in the 2018-2019 school year. There are thousands of people teaching in Oklahoma schools with emergency certificates. They don't have to have a teaching degree. They can teach with just a bachelor's in anything, not necessarily the subject they're teaching. Craig McVeigh has hired people retired from military service, people switching careers. 
One of his teachers was a former tractor salesman. And said, you know what, I, I got this degree in ag education you know, a long time ago, never used it, and I'd like to try it. He's a great, he's a great teacher. One reason Craig McVeigh has had to find a new pool of candidates is that colleges of education aren't turning out as many newly minted education majors. Over the last decade in Oklahoma, the number of people going through teacher preparation programs has dropped by 80%. But part of the problem is that people who do go into teaching don't stay. Teacher turnover is especially high in Oklahoma. Recently, the state's been losing about 10% of its public school teachers every single year. Craig McVeigh says his district is working on coaching and training new teachers, hoping they won't give up and quit. So we work a lot there, especially in the area of classroom management, because that's usually what runs a, um, a teacher right out of the door with their hair on fire is, is you know, that uh, lack of, of training with, you know, how do I manage this classroom? So we, we have really beefed that whole program up to try to help retain those teachers and, and get them, you know, from year one to year two to year three. If we can keep them by year three, we think we're going to be able to keep them. But keeping teachers past year three is a huge challenge, and not just in Oklahoma. It's all over the country. Not everywhere. It's patchy. High turnover tends to hit schools in big cities and rural places especially hard. And as teachers keep quitting and schools keep replacing them, that's meant a huge change in who is teaching now. There's been so much hiring that there's just larger and larger numbers of beginners. Richard Ingersoll is a professor of education and sociology at the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education. He studies America's teaching force. The modal, the most common teacher in the late 1980s, was a 15-year veteran. And then you had some teachers had less than 15 years experience and some teachers had more. Today, the modal, the most common teacher, is someone in their first year. From APM Reports, this is the Educate Podcast. I'm Alex Baumhart. This season, we're talking about what's happening in many American schools that's leading so many teachers to quit, and what that means for schools, and for students, and for teachers. The constant churn costs schools a lot of money. It forces kids to make do with substitute teachers, inexperienced teachers, emergency teachers. In this episode, we'll look at some of the reasons teachers are leaving and how we got here. Episode one, the teacher emergency. When I started looking into teacher shortages, here's something that surprised me. The problem isn't that the United States isn't producing enough teachers. Some states aren't producing enough, but nationally, teacher preparation programs are turning out plenty of people. The problem is, once they become teachers, they don't stay. Nearly half of them will leave within their first five years on the job, according to Ingersoll. The exit rate for teachers in the United States is about double what it is in countries like Canada and Finland. Exit rates for new teachers in the U.S. are about on par with exit rates for new police officers and are even higher than exit rates for nurses, two high-pressure, high-stakes jobs that teaching is often compared to. One reason is that the job is tough, and in 2020, it got even tougher. This is Janet. Today is August 6th, and we are hosting our Save Our Schools protest and march to demand that the Washoe County School District does not open schools yet. Wait before it's too late! Janet Roman is 27 and an English teacher at Sparks High School in Reno, Nevada. She made this recording in the summer of 2020, before school started in Reno. 
Teachers were demanding that schools stay closed to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. She and I checked in periodically over the last year. When school started in the middle of August of 2020, she told me the teachers lost their battle to teach remotely. They had to go back to their buildings. So it's been just a little over a month now, about five weeks that we've been back in school. However, we've only had one full week of school where we were in class every day um, because of the fires from Northern California, you know, bringing in the smoke into Northern Nevada. Um, we've had a ton of smoke days. So all last week, we were doing distance learning because the smoke is so bad in northern Nevada. So Roman taught from the apartment she shares with her husband. The distance learning was challenging. Sparks High, where she teaches, is a Title I school. More than half of the students qualify for free and reduced lunch, which is another way of saying that a lot of the students come from low-income families. Almost a quarter of the students are English language learners. Truly, my students have been amazing. Um, I feel honored to have them as students. And, you know, on top of that, there is a lot that my students are facing. About three quarters of the students at Sparks High School are Hispanic. Some are undocumented. And Roman says many of her students live in multi-generational homes and are the children of frontline workers. They are facing a lot of issues outside of school from being houseless to struggling to afford Wi-Fi. So to be able to have this community that we've built in our classroom um, really has been wonderful. Sparks is the kind of school that tends to have trouble keeping teachers. Nationwide, shortages are most pervasive in high-poverty urban schools and in rural schools. In December, Janet said that staffing was a growing concern at Sparks. It's still too early to tell whether more teachers nationwide will exit the profession because of the stress of teaching under COVID-19. But Janet says throughout the year at Sparks, a few teachers left, some retired early, and many more were out sick or were tending to sick family members. We don't have the staffing capacity in our schools. So that has been a huge issue, huge issue in Washoe County. And right now, um, our, our state is actually going to allow substitutes to substitute teach without a college degree. So as long as you have a high school degree, they're allowing people to sign up to become a substitute. Nearing the end of 2020, Nevada was short so many teachers that the governor did indeed allow people to work as substitute teachers with just a high school diploma. The applicants just had to pass a background check. And it wasn't just Nevada. Several other states did this, too. Right. Put a warm body in there. But but what about the learning? You know, what about the learning? What about the gains that our students should be making? You know, will they be making those gains? Will they be learning um, if they have someone in there who doesn't have that experience, who doesn't have a college education and might not be as ready to to help our students, you know, during this pandemic? And I feel like during this crisis. Janet Roman's experience at Sparks stuck out to me because she's in her fourth year. So she's nearing the end of that five-year window, after which almost half of the teachers who started are gone. And she's sort of the archetype of the teacher a school district should do anything to keep. She's what researchers would consider a high-quality teacher. She has a university degree in education. She's certified at the state level and in her subject area. And she wanted specifically to teach in Washoe County. I teach in the community in which I grew up, so it's really personal for me to give my students the best education that I can and to make sure that they are safe. But as the school year drew to a close, she told me she was thinking about leaving. I, I don't think that after this year I will continue to teach in my district. 
which breaks my heart. I, I love teaching. I'm passionate about teaching. It's I feel like it's my calling, what I want to do, but at what cost, you know, at, at, at what cost to, I don't know. It's just, it feels like it, it definitely is making me reconsider, reconsider if I want to keep teaching at, at least in my district. But of course, in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard to, to switch career paths. So nine out of 10 teachers hired are hired to replace a teacher who has left the profession. Um, and most of those teachers aren't leaving to retire. That's Desiree Carver-Thomas. She's a researcher and policy analyst at the Learning Policy Institute. And Desiree told me something that surprised me. She studied teacher turnover, and she found that the main reason teachers quit isn't how hard the job is, and it isn't low pay. The main one is administrative support. Um, that's one of the biggest predictors of teacher turnover. When a teacher doesn't find their administrator supportive or um, encouraging... Teachers talk about wanting to be taken seriously and be seen as professionals, wanting to have a voice in how their schools run. But they also want help. They want their principal to have their back with parents or when discipline issues come up and to support their professional development. The second thing is that preparation matters. So teachers who receive the least pre-service preparation, they leave at two to three times the rate of those who received the most comprehensive preparation. Um, and their turnover rates are especially high when they teach in schools serving more students from low-income families and students of color. Teacher preparation has changed in a lot of ways in the United States during the last 30 years. Most teachers still come from college teacher training programs, but fewer people are enrolling in those programs, especially over the last decade. And many people interested in teaching are choosing from the growing number of alternative pathways into the profession, some of which provide less of what Desiree Carver-Thomas calls pre-service preparation, like time spent student teaching under a veteran teacher in a classroom. Sticking with why teachers leave. And the last thing we found was that um, teachers in districts with the lowest salary ranges, they're more likely to leave their positions than teachers in the best paying districts. Unsurprisingly, pay. Between 1999 and 2017, teacher pay declined in 28 states. In Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, and North Carolina, the decline has been steeper. Teacher wages are down 10 to 15 percent. Emma Garcia is an economist at the Economic Policy Institute, and she's studied teacher pay and teacher professionalization. She says teachers have an advantage in job benefits, a good pension if you stick around for a long time. But in salaries, they experience something called the teacher wage penalty. Teachers relative to comparable peers are underpaid by almost 20%. In total, they are significantly underpaid. Other similar college graduates make 20% more on average. Education economists don't all agree on whether raising teacher salaries across the board would lead to better teacher retention or higher quality teachers. But Garcia says low salaries do contribute to turnover. So schools may be saving money by paying less, but then they're spending money when they have to replace the teachers who leave. Uh, we know that feeling... A teaching vacancy is very costly for uh, the school districts. It costs about $20,000 to fill in a vacancy to find a replacement. Uh, so through excessive um, attrition 
we are deviating resources that could be used for other more uh, effective purposes. So it is costly for the students, it is costly for the teachers, but it is also costly for um, the education system overall to be dealing with the, this crisis in the teacher labor markets. Estimates for the total annual cost of teacher turnover are about $8 billion a year. But Emma Garcia says this problem of low teacher pay isn't really new. There's some research uh, that argues that there are some professions, including teacher uh, teaching, that because they are heavily women's professions, mm, they have always been underpaid. So if you really want to lift teaching prestige, lift the way we treat teaching, to me, the problem is at the roots of the underpay. People who study education say the low pay and the fact that teaching is dominated by women are intertwined. So when the public school system was founded a century ago... This is Richard Ingersoll again. It was, it was a very costly enterprise. You're all of a sudden going to make tax-paid universal schooling... Uh, in the beginning for the elementary grades and then the secondary grades were added on. This is very expensive. And so there was all kinds of measures to keep the costs down. This is one of the reasons that teaching quite quickly shifted from men's work into women's work because the school districts could get a similar quality employee, women, for a lower price. Up until the late 1800s, most teachers were men. As access to school increased, the country needed more teachers, so women took on teaching roles. They would work until they had children and then leave the workforce. In fact, a lot of women were not allowed to come back and teach after they'd had kids. This meant most teachers were pretty young and relatively untrained, and that turnover was high. Their wages assumed they weren't a primary earner or wouldn't be for long. At first, women with an eighth-grade education could go into teaching in some places. Then they needed a high school education. Then, as more and more women graduated from high school, the barriers to entry became greater. You had to go get trained. We began to create what we called normal schools for teachers. Pam Grossman is also at the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education. She's the dean there where they would go and study both the curriculum that they were intended to teach as well as things related to child development. And those normal schools became the basis for many state universities. So San Jose State University began as a normal school. Many state universities have their roots in teacher preparation and then converted to universities, um, and the teacher preparation went along with that. But also there was a sense that we wanted command and control over who was going to be working with our children. Here's Richard Ingersoll again. And so from the beginning, teachers didn't have much discretion, and they didn't have much say and voice in the in the school management. That administration, in fact, was was created to be men's work. Teaching was women's work. Administration management was men's work. And the idea was, let's have a command and control system. And, and the school system looked to what they thought were very successful examples from the private sector, from corporate America, from business. And in many ways, the school system quite explicitly, intentionally tried to model itself after Henry Ford's assembly lines 
in the Ford Motor Company plants. And these were considered a sort of a marvelous new way of mass production. Gosh, well, this is really terrific. Let's make schools in a similar type of model, a facsimile of the assembly line. By the early 1900s, schools had a very top-down structure. Teachers were executing mandates and curriculum from principals and superintendents and state and federal lawmakers, testing student learning and behavior, quality control, and sending information back up to the top. It's still like this today in a lot of ways. The problem is that schools in some ways are quite a different, quote-unquote, production process than making cars. In other words, making adults uh, from children is different than making cars from steel and plastic and uh, raw materials. And so the model in some ways had some advantages, but it hasn't worked well over the last century. And we're sort of stuck with this. These are these kind of this factory model of organization, a boss worker model. During that time in the early 1900s, about 75% of teachers were women. And the people in positions of power making decisions about teaching were mostly men who had never taught. Though it's changed some, school district leadership roles today are still held mostly by men. At the turn of the 20th century in particular, this got old for the teachers. So much so, in fact, that it's around this time you see more and more union organizing among them. Teaching was not set up like the traditional professions, architecture and engineering and medicine and law and academia. In those professions, you have the potential to train and practice and develop and grow into someone considered an expert. Over time, you get more respect and more money, and you have more say in how you do your job. Teaching wasn't like that. It was temporary, low-paid, women's work. But as the decades passed, there was a growing sense that good teaching was also essential to some things the United States wanted to get done. We should, among other things, have a system of nationwide testing of high school students, a program to stimulate good quality teaching of mathematics and science, provision of more laboratory facilities, and measures, including fellowships, to increase the output of qualified This is President Dwight Eisenhower in the 1950s. Math and science had proven crucial to winning World War II. But people with math and science backgrounds could make more money applying their skills and degrees in other fields besides teaching. The country has had pretty consistent shortages among math and science teachers since the 60s. They've always been a little bit harder to keep. And there were other teacher shortages through the decades, like in rural schools, because they were in places with fewer amenities. The pay could be lower, and you largely had to recruit locally. There was growing need for teachers to teach English as a second language as more immigrants came to the United States, and a growing need for special education teachers so schools could comply with laws that had come out of the 1970s for students with disabilities. The National Commission on Excellence in Education said today that the nation is at risk. In 1983, a federal commission issued a report called A Nation at Risk. It claimed that education in the U.S. was stunted and declining, and that kids were underperforming, and too many schools were failing. The Bipartisan Commission on Education says flatly that American education is being undermined by a rising tide of mediocrity that threatens our very future. Among the recommendations they issued were higher standards for graduation, more STEM classes, and more homework. And higher quality teachers. Three years later, another groundbreaking report was released with some solutions. It was called A Nation Prepared. Its primary suggestion? Raise the standards for teaching, 
professionalize the job, create opportunities for teacher training and advancement, pay more. Having high-quality teachers would lead to high-quality students. There was a real effort, actually, to elevate teacher preparation to the graduate level. Here's Pam Grossman again. And so that was also part of the effort to professionalize teaching, to make it not a short-term occupation um, that, again, primarily women did uh, before they got married, to being actually a profession and uh, to provide the opportunity for people to develop the professional knowledge and skill they needed. You saw similar things happening in fields like physical therapy, uh, which went to a, a master's as an entry degree and is now a doctoral entry degree in nursing, um, of other predominantly female fields trying to, again, move towards greater professional status. But raising the bar would also make it harder to get into teaching. And that was a problem. In the 1980s, teacher shortages were making news. And at the same time that that was happening, there was this pushback uh, that maybe you didn't need that professional knowledge. And William Bennett was one of the people who said, the former Secretary of Education in the 80s, who said, all you need to teach is knowledge of your subject matter and uh, interesting kids and a willingness to teach. So instead of making it harder to get in, the approach over the decades has often been to treat teacher shortages as an emergency and to see a simple answer, recruit more teachers. Almost every presidential administration since Eisenhower has proposed some new plan to make more teachers. The universities and schools for teacher training should intensify their recruitment. Have alternative certification, an intense recruiting campaign. Today I'm announcing the first <clears throat> ever national online teacher recruitment clearinghouse. But Richard Ingersoll says the politicians who are trying to fix shortages by minting more and more teachers are looking at the problem wrong. It's really not the case that we produce too few teachers. It's that we lose too many. In other words, the problem simply can't be solved by recruiting more people into teaching. That's been the conventional prescription for decades. Ingersoll says there were more than enough people training to become teachers in the last 40 years, more than we needed. So how could you have so many new teachers and still have districts struggling to staff their schools? In other words, you can, you can bring in hundreds of thousands of new people, but if they don't stick around, you won't solve the problem. You'll be back to square one and you'll have lost your investment. And I'm still puzzled to this day why, why the durability and resilience of the conventional wisdom regarding teacher shortages when it just it's a wrong diagnosis, and it hasn't solved the problem. Many researchers like Richard Ingersoll will illustrate how we got here, to a huge workforce with more beginners and high turnover, by painting an image of a hose and a leaky bucket of water. The bucket is schools, the teachers are water, and the holes in the bucket represent all the reasons teachers are leaving. Rather than closing up the holes, we keep trying to crank up the amount of water blasting out of the hose. Today, teachers with 10 or fewer years of experience constitute over half of the teaching force. Just after the school year ended in Reno, Nevada, I talked again to teacher Janet Roman. She's the four-year veteran who told me she was thinking about leaving. You know, four years into my profession, I would be considering leaving. But in June, she told me she'd decided to give the district another chance, stick it out a little longer. This past year, a lot of teachers said in surveys that they wanted to quit. 
but so far the teacher exodus doesn't seem to be worse than it was before the pandemic. Quit rates among teachers tend to decline in turbulent economic times, but the next few years will be more telling. Roman says she wants to continue to advocate for her colleagues and her students and to keep working in the community she grew up in. But she says this year made it a close call. I, I absolutely love the community that I teach in and this is the community that I, I grew up in and I'm fortunate to be able to come back and give back to my community. So um, I, it, it would be difficult for me to have to leave. Um, however, this is the first year that I, I have considered it. On the next episode of Educate. In the early 2000s, Texas became the first state to allow for-profit online teacher training programs. And they grew fast. And my partner, Kathy, and I started from nothing. And, and now 15 years later, we're the largest provider of teachers in the state of Texas with over 50% of all the teacher production in the industry. This episode of the Educate podcast is the first in our four-part series on the teacher workforce in the United States. Let us know what you think, especially if you're a teacher or thinking of becoming one. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Educate Podcast, one word. You can also send an email to contact at apmreports.org. And please leave a review for other listeners. It really helps us get the word out. This episode was reported, produced, and brought to you by a team that includes me, Alex Baumhart, Chris Julin, Sabby Robinson, and Will Callen. It was edited by Katherine Winter and fact-checked by Betsy Towner-Levine. Final mixing by Craig Thorson. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. Thanks for listening. This is APM. APM.